back to Franklin Covey's On Leadership Series. My name is Scott Miller, and I'm privileged to serve as the host of this weekly interview series. Now, in addition to my role on set, I also serve as the Executive Vice President of Thought Leadership. That means I'm privileged to host a podcast for the company. I author some books. And in my 23rd year here, I, of course, have had the privilege of tutoring under our co-founder, Dr. Stephen R. Covey, for almost two decades. Of course, he's passed now. But his seminal book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, has sold 30-plus million copies over the course of 30 years. In fact, I think Dr. Covey's legacy will be as one of the most prominent and influential leadership experts in the world, wildly quoted. In his book, The Seven Habits, he popularized numerous concepts that we hear in our daily lives, personally and professionally. One of those was the idea of becoming a transition figure of you being that person who's broken cycles of norm, that's actually you know, broken through standard processes and actually helped people realize their dreams, find their voice. And this idea of a transition figure in all of our lives is profound. Ask yourself for a moment, who in your life was your transition figure? They believed in you, perhaps more than you believed in yourself. They were a light, not a judge. They were a model, not a critic. Our guest today is the ultimate transition figure, Dr. Terry Trent, who is the author of the book, The Awakened Woman, Remembering and Reigniting Our Sacred Dreams of Her Many Earned Accolades and Titles. She goes down as Oprah Winfrey's, quote, most favored, favorite guest on her 37,000 interviews. Can you imagine Earning that right, be, whether it be a, you know, your doctorate, your undergraduate degree, all the lives that you've achieved, Dr. Trent, welcome to On Leadership. Thank you for having me. Thank you. I mean, what is it like to be Oprah's most favorite guest of all time? I am humbled by that because I never saw it coming. Uh, but I think what Oprah did was to... Uh, illuminate the platform for gender equality, to give voice to the awakening of, of women. I think that's what she did. And I am just so happy and so humbled to be part of that um, vessel to carry the message forward. Dr. Trent, we are happy and humbled that you've joined us today. You are from Zimbabwe. You were educated, which we'll talk about in the US. You live now back in Zimbabwe. You happen to be in America this week. You were giving um, some speeches in New York, and you are currently on a bit of a stopover in Santa Fe, where you're joining us today. What I'd like to do is open today's conversation and have you talk a bit about your journey. And I want you to take as much time as possible because your book, although it's a bit of a memoir, it's a, a leadership book, it's a book of inspiration, it's a book about unleashing dreams and the hunger inside of you. We'll get to some of that, but I'd like for you to take some ample time and talk about your early life in Zimbabwe, some of the struggles you faced, how some of your dreams were made possible, and maybe talk us through the ultimate um, accomplishment of earning your PhD here in the US. Walk us through your story, if you will. I come from a long line of generations of women, women who had been denied the right to education because of their gender. My great-grandmother was married off when she was very young, as well as my grandmother and my mother. And I would follow the same pathway 
by the time I was 18 years of age, I was already a mother of four children and one of the babies died as an infant because I failed to produce enough milk to feed the child. I was a child myself. My childhood was both interesting, but also both said, but one thing that I grew up, I grew up with these wise women, my grandmother and my mother, who would always remind me that it's not your past that's defining you, it's not the present challenges that are defining you, but it is something within you. You have to tap into that great hunger within you. And despite the fact that I didn't have a high school education when I was 18 years of age, I didn't have nothing, I was living in an abusive a relationship, I was living in poverty. But I happened to have met, like you described, a transition leader, someone who inspired me to believe in my dreams. There was a woman from Hefa International. She is the former CEO and president of Hefa International. Her name is Jolag. She came to my poor rural village, found me sitting with other women and asked one fundamental question. And remember by then, I was expecting my fifth child without an education at all. And she asked me, what are your dreams? And I had no idea that I'm supposed to dream, but somehow she inspired me when she kept on asking me. And when I opened my mouth, I became a chatterbox. And I told her I wanted to go to America to have an undergraduate degree, a master's and a PhD. She looked at me and she said, if you truly believe in those dreams, they are achievable. And she used the word tinogona, which translates in my language to it is achievable. And I remember the other women who were in the group looking at me and saying, how can you say that? To dream of going to America when you don't have a high school education. But there was something about this woman that inspired me because she kept on nudging me and kept on making me believe I can achieve my dreams. I ran to my mother. I said to my mother, I met a woman who made me believe in my dreams. And that was music to my mother's ears because my mother said, Terry if you truly believe in what this stranger has said to you, and remember she was a stranger because in the rural areas, we never had white people or foreigners coming in into our areas. We were living in a kind of an apartheid system and we had just gained our independence. So she said, if you believe in what this stranger has said to you and you work hard and you achieve your dreams, not only are you defining who you are as a woman, but you are also defining every life that comes out of your womb and generations to come. So she said, write down your dreams and bury them the same way we bury the umbilical cord or the birth cord. I come from a, a culture where when a child is born, the infant, the elders of the village, and usually the female elders, they would snip out the umbilical cord and cut it off and tie that umbilical cord in a piece of cloth and bury deep down under the ground that umbilical cord with the belief that when this child grows, wherever they go, whatever happens in their life, the umbilical cord will always remind them of their birthplace. So my mother said, write down your dreams and bury them. Whatever happens in your life, despite the abuse in your life, despite the oppression in your life, those buried dreams will always remind you of their importance. 
So I wrote down my four dreams to go to America to have an undergraduate, a master's and a PhD. And I was ready to go and bury those dreams. When my mother said something so profound that changed my whole life. She said, your dreams will have greater meaning when they are tied to the betterment of your community. I only see four personal goals in your life, but remember, your dreams become more important when they are tied to the betterment of others. So I ended up writing my number five dream. When I'm done, I want to come back and improve the lives of women and girls in my community so they don't have to go through what I had gone through. And it will take me eight years to accomplish my GED because I didn't have any. Uh, that time we used to do correspondence through the British system because we're just coming from the British system of education. And so I would write uh, my, my paperwork and it would go to a place called Cambridge and I would wait six months for the results to come back. And it wasn't always good because for those eight years I would fail, but I never gave up because I knew I was on a journey to change the trajectory of my life, to make sure that my own girls, they don't have to go through what I had gone, to remember the promise that I had made by burying, by writing my dreams and burying them deep down. The word bury is the same as planting. So I planted my dreams. And when I achieved my GED, I found myself at Oklahoma State University, but it wasn't that easy because my grandmother would always say, go to that place where you had buried your dreams and visualize the life that you want. And I would sit there for hours and hours thinking about my life, visualizing myself getting into an aeroplane and going to America. And I never been in an aeroplane. The only aeroplane I knew were those war helicopters that used to come in our, in our community. So, but I would visualize myself getting into that aeroplane, taking me to this place called America, seeing these tall buildings. I would see myself carrying books and getting into a classroom, see myself graduating my undergraduate, my master's. So the, the very day that I managed to get into that aeroplane to go to America. There was this feeling like I've been here before. I was so full of joy. I went to America, attended Oklahoma State University, achieved my undergraduate. It wasn't easy because I had taken five children with me with no scholarship, with nothing. I used to work three, four jobs so that I could put food on the table for the children and be able to pay for my tuition. And uh, after graduating my undergraduate, I then went on to do my master's. And after my master's, I, I realized I couldn't do my PhD. I was so hungry for something else. I wanted to work. I, you know, we had lived in poverty in America. So I found a job and um, I was surprised when I, I got employed by Hefa International. Uh, then I realized, oh my gosh, I met this woman and she looked at me and she said, I know you. I think you're from, from Zimbabwe. And I realized that that was the very woman, the Jolak woman, who had inspired me to dream big. And uh, by then now, I, she was the CEO and president of EFA International. I had no idea when I met her. I thought it was some woman who was just coming in into the village. And uh, I started working and, and and my first trip was to go to my village. And I went to that place where I had planted my dreams. I dug them up, 
checked going to America, checked undergraduate, checked masters, reburied those dreams, came back to America and enrolled at Western Michigan University where I achieved my PhD in evaluations, which is statistics. And after that, then I went back to do my um, uh, uh, another diploma, another, another master's in uh, epidemiology at UC Berkeley. And I couldn't believe the day that I walked that uh, uh, podium uh, where they were now giving me that paper that now says I'm a PhD holder. I felt like a lawyer who had rested their case to the world and to say that if we give opportunities to those who are marginalized, they can also achieve their dreams. And that's leadership, to remember others in our lives. And um, as I was in New York this week, uh, I was surprised that um, there's a statue of me. I'm standing tall in New York. I, was, um, I have uh, a life-size uh, statue with uh, women like Oprah Winfrey, um, Dr. Jane Goodall, uh, Cheryl Stride, and many other women. It's just surprising uh, for me when I realize where I'm coming from, the power of believing in our, in our dreams. But more than that, I had no idea how I was going to achieve my, my fifth dream of giving back to the community. And that's when I got a surprise from Oprah Winfrey and she donated $1.5 million. And today we have managed to rebuild 12 schools in some of the poorest, remotest places in Zimbabwe, benefiting almost 38,000 students who have gone through our school system. And for the first time in history, we never had girls going to university, even boys. And now, as I came in with my leadership, we have more girls going into university. We even have a student attending the University of Algeria doing medicine. It's unheard of, but I think it's also about believing in our dreams as individuals and also be able to give back to our communities and to inspire others to dream bigger because I was inspired myself. Dr. Trent, thank you for that very comprehensive and generous opening. Uh, let's be honest, I, I can't even begin to relate to your journey, right? As someone who's, you know, a white male in America and been raised with all the, all the endless opportunities in front of me. Can you take a moment and talk about like you do in your book, the generational oppression, mainly of women and the very patriarchal aspects of Zimbabwe and Africa and how generation after generation that your ancestors, primarily females, have been repressed and had their dreams squashed and denied education and the correlation to now your mission to empower women, to educate them, and the role that education can play in transforming families, communities, and our world. Yeah, it is all about the silencing of women and it's everywhere. It's not only in Africa, even here in the US, you, you see it. I always visualized my great grandmother when she was born. She was born uh, with a baton. I call that the baton of poverty, the baton of illiteracy, the baton of uh, oppression. And she ran so fast in her journey with that baton and she hands that baton to my grandmother. My grandmother grabs this baton of illiteracy, the baton of early marriage, the baton of poverty. And she runs with this baton. She hands it over to my mother. 
My mother grabs this baton and she runs so fast with this baton. She runs with this baton of illiteracy, early marriage, and she hands that baton to me. I ran with that baton, but after some time I realized I didn't need that baton. I needed to redefine this baton because for generations and generations, women have been oppressed and women have been made to believe that their silence is what is accepted in our society. And I never wanted that because I was surrounded by transitional leaders, like you talked about. My mother would inspire me to say, now you are in an independent country. You can change your life. So I wanted to change my life. And that's the reason why I am on this journey now to educate not only my own children, but also to extend that to all the boys and girls in my community. Dr. Trent, in your book, you know, you share pretty, um, pretty fiercely the abuse that you suffered in your marriage, polygamous marriage, you know, how mm -hmm. many um, wives your, your grandfather had and the fact that yeah. your, I think it was your mom or your grandmother took care of children who weren't hers. And you talk about sort of finding your passion in life, finding your, mm. I think you call it your little hunger and your great hunger. Yes. In fact, how you define defining your great hunger is, you know, what, what breaks my heart? And I read mm. this book about a week ago. It's in bed one evening. I was starting the book about a week prior to our interview. And I had to close the book after the first chapter and thought about, you know, what's my great hunger? What breaks my heart? Would you expand on that for our audience, our listeners and our viewers, about the concept of little hunger, great hunger, and the role that understanding what breaks your heart plays in discovering yeah. that? Because here's the thing. Uh, sometimes people look at me or look at other women who are going through marginalization and they say, oh, poor Tererai. And I've always said, no, I am not a victim. I'm part of the solution. I am the master and mistress of my own destiny. I refuse to let the past uh, define who I am. Neither do I want the current challenges in my pathway become the narrative that would shape my future. I defied the rules of my father, the rules of my, of my culture. But I, you have to ask, why did I defy everything that shaped generations of women before me? I think because I had hunger, hunger to change my own life. And there are two kinds of hungers in our life. There is the little hunger. The little hunger is all about me, me, me. It's all about I, I want to have this and it's, it's consuming because you can never satisfy it's based on greediness sometimes. But the great hunger, which is the greatest of all hungers, is hunger for a meaningful life, is hunger to do better in our life, to change who we are, to make sure that as we change who we are, we also extend and change and transform others. That's the great hunger. And I had that hunger that had been instilled in me by my grandmother, but also Joel had instilled that, that hunger in me. And in, in our lives, we become bitter when we lead a life without meaning, when we chase the little hungers. You know, the little hungers, they say, oh my goodness, how many Facebook likes do I have today? Or I, you know, I, I want to buy this fancy thing. And sometimes you don't even need that fancy thing, but because it's all about showing off. But when you have that great hunger, when you, when you tap within the energy within you, you want to change your life, but you also want to change the lives of others. Dr. Trent, your book is 
full of um, visceral stories around achievement, doubling down on your dreams, helping others, giving back. There's a couple of stories that I want to revisit, and they are related to your education in the U.S. Mm -hmm. So after you know these uh, early years as a mother uh, of multiple children, you moved to the U.S., yes. Oklahoma, and you enroll in the university to uh, earn your undergraduate degree. And there was a, diff a difficult period where you didn't think you were going to be able to finish your undergraduate degree, and you might have to go back home to Zimbabwe, mm -hmm. but uh, there was a particular intervention that was very timely. Can you speak to that? Because I found that so inspiring, as all of us you know, have some philanthropy, some mm. causes we take on, and you're not quite sure if they'll work out. Talk about what a great investment it was in you. So <laughs> when I came to America and lived in Oklahoma, Stillwater, Oklahoma, I had five children, and it was very difficult for me, and I as I have said, there were times where we didn't have enough food and I had to pick food from trash cans to feed the kids. And so there was a time in my life, I, I had just finished my undergraduate uh, because I was paying for myself and I was supposed to go for my graduate program, my master's, but I didn't have any money. And uh, the university called me the administration to say, you know, you don't have money for this program and you still owe a little bit of money for your undergraduate. I think it's time for you to go home. And I remember walking to my apartment and crying and thinking, oh my goodness, you know, when I came to this country, I came to redefine and change that baton. And now if I go back, it means my little girls are going to just go through what I had gone through, to get married when they are 14 years of age, to have babies before they are 18 years of age. And I couldn't think, I couldn't imagine that. And I, and I cried going to, the, to my apartment. And gosh, and the mail came. I said, this, post, this postman, he comes with mail. And I opened the envelope um, and there was scholarship for me from AAUW, which is um, uh, an initiative that offers scholarships to women for graduate programs. And they were paying for my, for my tuition, which was, oh, they were even offering almost 50,000 for my tuition. I just could not believe it. And even up to now, when I think about it, it's emotional for me to think that at that very moment, when I was thinking of going to pack my bags and wait for my kids coming from school to deliver the news that we can no longer stay in America, we have to go home. And what a coincidence that was. I, I, still, I still tell my children that I stand on the shoulders of giants I stand on the shoulders of others who believe in my dreams. Otherwise, I could not have done it. Dr. Trent, it's emotional hearing you say it again many years later. In fact, it happened twice. Prior to that, you had um, a struggle with your undergraduate, and a group of ladies in Oklahoma got together yeah. and helped to gather the money for your undergraduate degree for a semester to allow you to yes. stay as well, right? Yes, yes. I, uh, when I was doing my undergraduate, because as much as I would work uh, three, four jobs, 
it wasn't enough for me. But I was, you know, I loved my studies. I was a good student, but somehow I could not balance my books because I had to feed the children, clothe the children, pay for my tuition, and uh, and I there was a fifteen hundred dollars that I could not come up with during my undergraduate. And this group of women, uh, they call themselves um, the um, uh, Circles of Stillwater Foundation. Uh, they came together, these women, unexpectedly. I didn't even realize this is what they were doing and offered to pay my tuition. So I have heard so many uh, individuals who, who helped me along the way. And I think that's what fires me to realize that uh, collectively, we can do, we can change the world as, in, as individuals. There's something that we can do to transform other people who are, in, who are struggling to put food on their table or to get an education or to achieve their dreams. Dr. Trent, I found it especially fascinating that your degrees are actually very practical. I, I, I don't know why, but I just assumed they might be in philosophy or leadership or women's studies. I made that up. Obviously, I was dead wrong. Will you talk a bit about, in fact, what your education is really about? So, so my first degree uh, is in agriculture because I come from agriculture. I come from, from farmers, though they were subsistence farmers. But when I was growing up, I would always find the extension workers or the extension staff were always men who would come and give advice to women because the women are the farmers and the men were not always at home. And it would frustrate me and I say to myself, I want to become an extension officer to work with women in my country. And I went on a journey to do my agriculture, but also because we, you know, if you read my book, you find, I talk about these rituals. We are connected to the soil, to the, to, to the earth. When I buried, when I planted my dreams, I planted them deep down under the ground in the earth. And so I'm connected to that. The food that we eat is coming from the earth, the medicine that we use. So I wanted to come and do something practical that I can use back home. And I, so I followed my, my, my desire to do agriculture. And then my master's was in plant pathology, which is the same, as, uh, the same field as, as agriculture as well. But for my, for, my, for my PhD, I took a different route because I had had this experience of plant pathology and use of pesticides and I said, no, I want to work with people. So I said, well, if I can do more work where I can work with women and communities, maybe if I do like a development work. So I focus more on how do you evaluate and measure the impact of the work or of aid in rural Africa. So I went on a journey to do um, statistics and measurement, but focusing on rural development because I wanted to work in that area. And then I realized that uh, in my research, I ended up um, looking at HIV and AIDS because that time Africa, we had so many women and young girls infected with HIV and AIDS, despite the fact that these were the women who were on the ground doing rural development work and I wanted to work with them, but I needed also to understand the aspect of HIV and AIDS. And after I was done with that, then I realized, well, the way you measure HIV and AIDS is totally different. I needed to do epidemiology, which really helped me to work in that area of 
HIV and AIDS as well as to be able to apply my rural development desire in the work that I was doing. Dr. Trent, your book is phenomenal. It's called The Awakened Woman, Remembering and Reigniting Our Sacred Dreams. Will you talk for a few moments and perhaps inspire in our listeners and our viewers the dreams that they have? In fact, much of the book, you inspire people to journal mm. about their dreams, talk about bringing their sacred dreams to life. Any advice you would give our listeners and, and viewers around how to reconnect with their dreams and some of the lessons that you learned, you could transfer to them on how to not just reconnect, but to make them come true. Yeah, you know, I, you know, when you read this book, I wanted um, the readers to tap into their deepest longing. What is their deepest longing? So this is where you get to get these questions. What's my great hunger? And the only way to tap into that great hunger is to ask yourself, what breaks my heart? Because it is in those moments of our brokenness, as you read in the book, in those moments of our struggles, we begin to feel a stirring within our hearts to change the trajectory of our life. But also what breaks our heart usually is not only about us, we begin also to see the wider picture how your community is being affected and how you want to reach out. So this is a book about growing that longingness and be able to realize that here on earth, we are not just here, but to find our purpose and to find our passion. The Native Americans, they have taught us so much and you read a lot about the similarities in the book. Humankind is not woven the web of life. We are but one thread. Whatever we do to ourselves, we do it to others. All things are connected and all things are bound together. And I want the readers to understand that it's our collectiveness as a human race that's going to change the world, to heal the world. Leadership is not only about positions, but it is about how we inspire this generation and generations to come, how we inspire ourselves as we inspire others, how we allow us ourselves to become the fertile ground for others to rise, because when I rise, I want to rise with others. That's what's, what defines leadership in our life. Dr. Trent, I feel like that was a crescendo that I should end on, but Thank I want to take another couple of moments and have people understand the power of the work that you're engaged in now that um, obviously Miss Oprah Winfrey has invested in and many others. Talk a bit about what's next for you and for the countless people today that find your journey inspiring and want to help further that message. How can people support you in your work and connect with you? Hmm. What's next for me, I have realized that an education system that solely relies on donation is not going to work. So uh, we are creating business models in our work, in our foundation, so that we can create more revenues to sustain our schools, because otherwise, as you have known, there's so, there so much money that has been poured into uh, Africa, 
in Zimbabwe to improve education, but still, we still find their gaps. But I believe that if we create business models, that's the only way to sustain. So I have partnered with um, Christina Carlson. She's the founder of Kiki K stores. Kiki K is everywhere in the world. They do stationery. And they have used part of my, my book, some of the uh, sayings in my book to create and, and design stationery. So these uh, products will be sold all over. You know, they'll be on Amazon, on Target, and um, and the funding that comes from those sales uh, will use it to sustain our schools. So your your listeners, if they're interested, they can just go to kikik.com and um, and buy some of the products. They'll find terrorite designs and buy those. Uh, and in doing so that will also be helping us to sustain rural schools in Africa. Dr. Trent, would you just spell out the name of the website and the name clearly so everybody can find it quite readily? It's kikikikik.k.com. I hope I'm right, yeah. Dr. Trent, um, thank you for your time today. The book, again, is The Awakened Woman, Remembering and Reigniting Our Sacred Dreams. Highly recommend it. Honored to have you here today. Best of success on your travels throughout the US this week and your journey back to Zimbabwe. It's been a true honor to have you here on Franklin Covey's On Leadership. Thank you for having me. I truly appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Trent. Thank you for joining us. I don't know how we top Dr. Trent, but I hope you'll join us again next week for a different conversation with a new leader if you're not registered or subscribed to the On Leadership newsletter, you can visit franklincovey.com. After you support Dr. Trent's website and purchase some of those stationary products, visit franklincovey.com, click on the On Leadership tab. It's a free subscription where every week on Tuesday morning, we send out an email to you with a fresh interview, conversation, blog, as well as a tool. You can sign up your friends, your family, your colleagues, Visit franklincovey.com and register today. Thank you for joining us.